This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 394. We're excited that an old friend and sponsor of the MTA podcast is back and better than ever. Nuni has helped many of our listeners, clinically proven and recommended by physical therapists. Nuni will help you get back to running without knee pain. Go to nuneeshop.com. That's N-U-N-E-E shop.com and use the code MTA10 for your 10% discount. Thanks to Prevenex, makers of amazing and effective nutritional supplements like Joint Health Plus. They will help you train, perform, recover, and operate at your best. Use the code MTA at checkout for 15% off. Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off. Thanks to MetPro. You can speak with a metabolic expert to review your current habits, discuss your lifestyle needs, and receive actionable steps towards achieving your goals, whether it's to lose weight or change your body composition. Go to metpro.co forward slash MTA to get $500 off their concierge coaching. Welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast, where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor. And I'm Angie. In this episode, we speak with Steve Magnus, a performance coach and author of the book, Do Hard Things, Why We Get Resilience Wrong and the Surprising Science of Real Toughness. And just a heads up, as an Academy member, you get access to all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right. Wow. A lot has happened since our last episode. The Boston Marathon announced that everyone who qualified is going to get in for 2023. What about that? That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm so excited for everyone who's planning on running the 127th edition next year. And some really big news. There has been a marathon world record set by Eliab Kipchoge, of course. <laughs> and that happened at the Berlin Marathon. Yeah, most people know that Kipchoge, of course, the fastest marathoner in the world, he is 37, um, took an amazing 30 seconds off his previous world record time by finishing in two hours, one minute and nine seconds. So that was really exciting. The female winner was Tigist Asefa of Ethiopia. She also set a new female course record on the Berlin course of two hours, 15 minutes and 37 seconds. It's really amazing. This was her second marathon. It was a 19 minute PR for her. And that time was the third fastest women's marathon time in history. She looks like she'll be one of those who is going to dominate at the marathon distance going forward. Well, okay, here's what's going on in the community. Everyday runners like you just getting it done, becoming better versions of themselves. We want to read some shout outs before we get into today's interview. This comes from Odd Ivar from Norway. He says, well, here it is. You've got this, MTA coach Nicole said to me, and everything she stated in her race plan came true. And after 4.44, I crossed the finish line after completing my first ever marathon, which was the Berlin Marathon. Always fun to hear about that first marathon. Congrats, Ivar. And speaking of first marathons, this comes from Lisa, who's also an MTA member. She says, I'm so incredibly proud to have run my first full marathon. My goal is to finish, and while I missed my time goal, this was still an amazing experience. My husband has been my biggest cheerleader, supporting me every step of the way to get here. Thanks to MTA coach Cindy for having so much patience and care. What a day. Well, we've got one more shout out to give uh, from Jessica, and this is really amazing. We posted 
a before and after picture that she shared. We get to see stuff like this every week. It's just really amazing. People are out there just changing their life through running and doing hard things. And people share their journey with us. And it's just so always so inspiring to see. That's right. She says, goals, they're wild and can change your entire life. I just wanted to be better. At first, I focused on my nutrition and just moving, then went from daily step goals to actually signing up for a 5K. I was terrified. My husband joined me and we started running a 5K together every month. Eventually, I lost over 100 pounds. People joked about me doing marathons and I figured I would never be able to run that long. This lovely group, the Social Distancing Run, and MTA gave me the extra boost I needed to keep pushing my goals. Not only did a marathon become an attainable goal, but I also stood a chance to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I missed it on my first attempt by six minutes, so I signed up for my second attempt the moment I arrived back home. That next training cycle was awful, but I kept going. I didn't think I was going to have it in me, but surprisingly, I felt great. And at mile 20, I realized that I was not only going to qualify, but I was going to do it with time to spare. I had nine minutes and 42 seconds in the bank when I crossed the finish line. I am still sitting here in amazement of this journey. Training for one little 5K has brought me all the way to the Boston Marathon. This community has been so important to me. The support and inspiration is like nowhere I've ever seen on the internet. And like I mentioned, she posted a photo of before and after. Um, She mentioned she just started doing a 5K a month with her husband. She lost over 100 pounds, got herself into Boston qualifying shape in her fitness and in her running. It just goes to show you never know what can happen when you just start, you know. And she mentions she was terrified signing up for the first 5K. I know that's the experience of a lot of people who are new to the running world, and it can be really intimidating. You think you're going to be the slowest person out there, but usually you're not. (laughs) And even if you are, it doesn't matter. You're still moving forward. That's right. Relentless forward progress. It's great to have the fall marathon season upon us. All kinds of races happening. By the way, if you're traveling in the U.S., check out the Drury Hotels. Uh, I just stayed at their downtown Pittsburgh location, which is fantastic. This company has been our longest sponsor of the podcast. We've stayed at probably 50 of their locations around the U.S. Yeah. They have over 150 locations in 25 states. Check them out at drurryhotels.com forward slash MTA. Use the code RUN, R-U-N. And you'll get 15% off your stay. Jory Hotels, use the code RUN for 15% off. So now we want to talk with Steve Magnus. Steve is, as you're going to hear, definitely a science nerd, loves to dig into the psychology of the sport. Angie, what else can we tell people about Steve Magnus? He is a world-renowned expert on performance. His writing has appeared in Runner's World, Sports Illustrated. He's been featured in The New Yorker, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times. And as a performance coach, Steve works with executives, entrepreneurs, and athletes. He is the co-founder of The Growth Equation, and he and his family make their home in Texas. So the book is called Do Hard Things. Angie, I feel like this is like the perfect book for you because you've been saying, I can do hard things um, on the podcast for years. So then a book comes out called Do Hard Things. How can you not read this book? (laughs) I did read it and I enjoyed it. Now I want to do easy things. (laughs) (laughs) Someone write that book, please. (laughs) That can be my book. I'm an expert at doing easy things, aren't we all? All right, here's our conversation with Steve Magnus. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. Well on my way, well on my way, well on my way. 
All right, we're on the podcast now with Steve Magnus, author of the book, Do Hard Things, Why We Get Resilience Wrong and the Surprising Science of Real Toughness. Steve, welcome back to the MTA podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to the conversation. So we both really enjoyed reading the book and are curious what inspired you to dive into this topic and write it. Yeah, you know, I think it goes back a long way to my my intro as a runner, because like what else is running except you're spending a lot of time in your head navigating these doubts, these insecurities, these voices telling you to like find a hole to step in and get out of the race. So I've always had this kind of idea circling around in my head of like, okay, let's investigate this. How do we actually navigate you know, difficult things and those voices and emotions and fatigue and pain that we're all feeling. And then I think more recently, I kind of had an aha moment where it was just like, yes, this obviously applies to running, but I think it applies to, you know, whatever we're going to tackle because the kind of sequence of doubts and emotions and all that swirling around and you having to figure out, okay, how do I navigate this and get to the other side of it is a common experience for all of us. It's part of humanity. So I think that's what kind of pushed me over the edge of like, all right, I'm going to use running as my way in because I love running. But I also want this to maybe apply to people who haven't, you know, stepped out and gone for a run or or what have you. So that was kind of the, the impetus for the book. How'd you decide on the title? Do hard things. <laughs> so I'm going to admit something for you. The titles are my least favorite part of writing because this is why they, they actually make such a big difference. So if you nail the title, it, it's crazy. It will set the book up for success. So there's all this pressure on figuring out a couple words or a phrase to, to go through it. So I have, you know, if I look back in my notes, probably like hundreds of random combination of words. <laughs> And we went back and forth so many times with my editor and publisher and all that good stuff. And it's funny, what ended up happening is I was working on the title in this book during the kind of middle of COVID. And my wife is a uh, elementary school teacher. And at that point, she was teaching virtually online to a bunch of like first graders. So you can imagine the Mm. chaos there. But I just like overheard her and she's like telling these little first graders who are you know, probably complaining because they're sitting on Zoom and and trying to figure out how to do things. And she's like, come on, you know, Jimmy or Susie, like, you can do hard things. We can do this. And it just kind of stuck where I'm like, oh, you're telling your kids to do hard things. And they just kind of have to like accept it and get over it. So that's where the title came from is listening to my wife. So she, (laughs) she gets all credit there. Oh, that's cool. Well, I think like you pointed out that this topic, that title applies to people in and outside of the running world, first graders, people later in life. Um, So I think, you know, no matter where we are in the spectrum of life, that we're going to have to do hard things and really develop some more resilience, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's kind of the message that I want to get across is that, you know, whether we like it or not, life is challenging. And often it's challenging, which can help us grow as people and individuals, as we often see in in running. The, the hardest thing is often the thing we look back on and like, oh, man, I'm glad I did that race or whatever <laughs> have you. And I think that's part of the message is that you got to take on those challenges. And hopefully I'm here to help provide a little clues or insights on how to do that a little bit better. 
there's a lot of anecdotes, a lot of references to scientific studies, and also your own experience as a college runner and a coach. Uh, but you also talk about football, like football coaches who were really hard asses, you know, back in the day. And it, as I was reading about like this idea of toughness that those coaches exuded, uh, one anecdote you could have put in there maybe was General Patton when he slaps the guy <laughs> who had PTSD and he's like, you know, quit being a wussy and slaps him. He gets reprimanded for that. Uh, what do we still get wrong about toughness today? Yeah. So I, I think what we get wrong often is that we have this kind of conceptualization that is like the General Patton. It is the, I'll call it like 1940s or 50s version of the military, which is like someone does something wrong and you just are this kind of hard ass power control driven individual, right? And I think what happens is that sets us up not to be able to do the difficult thing because it puts us in a place where we're responding out of like fear. And what we know is when we respond out of fear, we don't perform at our best. Like no one ever comes up and says, hey, I had my best race after I thought this was going to be the hardest thing in the world and that I wasn't going to be able to handle it. And I thought my coach was going to yell at me and punish me or what have you. We generally perform our best when we perform out of a place of, yes, this is going to be difficult. Yes, this is going to be challenging. But I'm almost approaching the difficulty versus like avoiding it based on fear. So I think what I saw across sport, across leadership is we kind of are stuck on these old school notions and we need to kind of move on from it and and adopt what I'd say is more of a mindset that we often adopt in running, which is, you know, take on the challenge head on and, and see what we can do. Yeah. And just so people know, this is not because, you know, everyone's just gotten soft today and it's not politically correct to act like that anymore. But there's scientific studies that bear out what you're saying, Steve, is that people perform better when the idea of fear of punishment is removed from the scenario. Yeah, exactly. And you know, one of my favorite pieces of research that went through this is actually on parenting, because often what happens is people think, oh, to create disciplined children, I need to be kind of this extreme disciplinarian, authoritarian parent. And what research actually shows is that tends to backfire. So the parent who is like overly controlling tends to have children who are kids who aren't as disciplined, who get in more trouble. And the reason is pretty simple. If you think back to your childhood and maybe, you know, friends you had, like the kids who had the like the super strict parents often were just really good at avoiding getting in trouble. Like they figured out <laughs> all the all the ways to get around the thing. Yeah. And the research bears that out. You know, one of my favorite studies on this was it was this paper actually that came out of Israel that showed, you know, even the the place where we would expect this extreme disciplinarian parenting to work, kids that were going into the military, it fails miserably. Hmm. So I, I think the message isn't that like, oh, everybody's weak or whatever have you now, or we're doing this all wrong. It's it's not to get rid of the high expectations or whatever on your kids. In the parenting research, it's making sure that, yeah, you have some good expectations and standards and all that stuff, but you accompany it with what researchers call responsiveness, which is essentially your kids know that you care about them, 
and they they know that like you have their best interest at heart and then even when you might discipline them it's because you want them to learn grow develop etc and the same thing applies to everything else we do from coaching to leading to whatever have you is that we need a high level of responsiveness and if we don't it doesn't matter it doesn't work and that can be including with oneself because maybe people are listening and they don't have a coach or they weren't part of a team they got into running later in life but they're really hard on themselves and I saw a quote recently, it said, if being tough on yourself worked, it would have worked by now. <laughs> I, I love that too, because it gets at it is we are often our worst own critic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason for that is actually, there's actually a, a biological and psychological reason, which is our mind is overprotective. So its default state is like, well, I'm kind of going to be, you know, mean to to you yourself because that way we don't have to get in the difficult moment. We can just avoid it entirely. It's why in the middle of races, our brain kind of screams at us to stop, to negotiate with ourselves, to be like, you know, you don't have to do this. Like, you're not actually in shape to finish this. Like, you might as well stop. It does that because it's trying to protect ourselves because it's like, wait a minute, you just went from being on the couch to you're in the middle of this this long race or whatever that we don't know when we're going to finish and our heart rate's through the roof and you know our energy's running low. It's just going in protective mode. The same thing occurs when we look at psychological challenges instead of just physical ones. So the antidote isn't to double down and just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be harder on myself to get through this. The antidote is to give your brain something a little bit more positive and realistic to kind of focus on to say, oh, it isn't the end of the world. I'm not actually going to die in the middle of this marathon. It's going to be okay. One of the four pillars of toughness that you talk about in the book is ditch the facade and embrace reality. Is that kind of related to that? Because I tend to be a person who's really hard on myself and I can tend to sort of like fake it till you make it kind of mindset. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up because the the psychology research is pretty clear. Fake it till you make it works, but it tends to work on easy things that we can accomplish anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like it can help you uh, get like activation energy to get going on simple or easy things. And if that's the case, great, you know, go for it. But we're faking it till you make it often fails is on the really difficult things. Because <laughs> eventually our brain goes like, hey, wait a minute. Like you told me that you had this and this was a piece of cake and this is really freaking difficult. Like what's <laughs> what's the difference here? What's the problem? And when we go down that route, often our brain kind of wins. It says like, forget this. I'm sounding the alarm. So you sound the alarm, you know, maybe 10 times what you would have if you just kind of went in with reality. So that's what I kind of mean when I say embrace reality is that if you look at both the psychology and the best performers, they tend to have kind of a clear vision of two things, how difficult the task is that they're taking on. That could be a race or what have you. And then what are they capable of? So we want a decent overlap between those two things. Now, often with the best performers, what you see is there's like a little bit of where they're reaching a little beyond what they're capable of, but they're not reaching so far beyond that it's like impossible. And I think that sets us up both again, psychologically and biologically. And we can actually see this in the lab where if we kind of have a decent overlap between those things where we kind of see it for reality, we actually have a a more productive stress response. 
So we'll have more of things like adrenaline and testosterone for our stress response instead of cortisol. And, you know, simplifying the differences is that cortisol often leaves us with anxiety and fear and et cetera. Well, adrenaline often leads us with, yeah, we feel a little bit of nerves and nervousness, but there's also some excitement mixed in as well. And we tend to, not surprisingly, perform best when we have that mixture of excitement and nerves instead of the fear-driven kind of cortisol response. Quick break to thank our episode sponsor, New Knee. If you're suffering from runner's knee, New Knee is an innovative bracing system that's helped many of our listeners get back to running and training for their next race without knee pain. What's interesting is unlike a traditional knee brace that puts pressure and, and compression on your knee, this actually helps lift the patella so it glides smooth. They've taken the last several years to put this through clinical trials, and they're really proud that now it has been clinically proven to provide immediate relief from runner's knee pain. That's why it's recommended by physical therapists. That's right. New Knee was designed by runners for runners. Its new and improved design is effective, comfortable, and versatile no matter what weather conditions you run in. So we really encourage you, if you're struggling with runner's knee pain, give New Knee a try. You have nothing to lose but the pain because New Knee is guaranteed to provide immediate relief or your money back. Just go to NewKneeShop.com and enter the discount code MTA10 for your 10% discount. That's N-U-N-E-E Shop.com and use the code MTA10. Thanks also to Prevenex. You guys have heard about how much we love Joint Health Plus. We like it because it's a supplement backed by clinical data showing that it protects joint cartilage from breaking down while running, which is huge for longevity and performance and just everyday health. What's cool is this company is so confident in what they offer that if you don't see any benefits in 30 days, they refund your money, no questions asked. Another thing in their product line is called Neurofy Plus. It's a super clean, ultra-healthy, plant-based meal replacement product that's packed with healthy and balanced proteins, carbs, and fats, and so many other helpful ingredients. And it actually tastes good, even though it's completely junk-free. It has no gums, fillers, no sugar alcohols, preservatives, or artificial anything that often shows up in these types of products. And if you're looking to go more plant-based, Neurofy has 20 grams of plant-based protein per serving. It's soy, dairy, and gluten-free. And the bottom line is that you're giving your body key macro and micronutrients that will help you fuel, recover, and operate at your best. You can get 15% off by using the code MTA at checkout over at Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off. So Angie mentioned there's uh, there's four pillars of toughness in the book. The first one was ditch the facade, embrace reality. Can you walk us through the uh, the other three pillars of toughness? Yeah, I'm curious about the listen to your body one, which is number two, spoiler alert here, because <laughs> you, know, you talked about how our mind is always going to want to pull the plug early to protect us. So I think sometimes it makes it really hard to find that line, like when are you listening to your body and when is it just your mind telling you that you're done because it wants to protect you? Oh, I love this. This is a great question because this gets at the central part of what I think I'm, I'm trying to get across. Often when you you hear listen to your body, people think like, oh, listen to your body means I should obey my body, right? <laughs> if it says, you know, you're tired, then I should listen to it. But what I'm trying to do is say, hey, there's a difference between listening and then you get to interpret and decide what you want to do there. So I want you to listen so that you can distinguish what voices or feelings or emotions are worth uh, listening to versus what ones are like your 
I don't know, your crazy aunt or uncle on Facebook where you just see them ranting on something and you're just like, all right, I'm going to scroll on by. Like, this isn't quality information. The same thing applies in our body, right? Some of the feelings and sensations are going to be what I'd call like false alarms, things that you should just scroll on by. Others are going to be like vital where they can help your performance because they're sending you a message that is like, oh, this is telling me that I actually am running a little low on fuel. So the next aid station, I need to grab a goo or Gatorade or whatever it is to get some fuel in. And I think for runners, the best way to kind of get this clarity is think back to when you started running and you went and you did that first workout. And I bet what happened is like you felt this like pain, fatigue, maybe even soreness. And you thought, oh my gosh, I shouldn't do this. I should stop right now. I'm going to be injured. Like it's the end of the world. And Often all it was, was a little, it was like a little fatigue. And or a it side wasn't a, stitch or something. <laughs> yeah, the side stitch happens and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. You know, what's going on in my inside? This means I should stop. But as you experience, as you get experience as a runner, you learn, oh, that side stitch is just like a little cramp. And sometimes if I change my breathing and work through this, it'll go away. Or that little pain I felt in my quad. No, that's just fatigue. This doesn't mean injury. Or on the other hand, you realize, oh, that little pain I felt in my calf. That means I should stop now. Like, don't keep running. Why? Because you learn to distinguish like those internal signals. So when I say listen to your body in this chapter, what I'm trying to convey is we need to spend time not ignoring those internal signals, but spend time so that we understand what ones are valuable and what ones are kind of false alarms where we can just kind of ignore and, and move on by them. I think that's a really helpful framework because anyone who's ever run a marathon knows they're really freaking hard. <laughs> and probably like 90% of the marathons I've run, I've got to mile 20 or, you know, thereabouts, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, and thought, this sucks. Why don't I pick a new hobby kind of thing? Like, <laughs> I still have 10K to go and I don't know how I can do it, you know? And there's that, like, that mental process that you have to work through. And of course, you know, you still have the physical strength to continue on. And finish the thing, but there is that mental voice that's telling you, pull the plug, you know, just stop now. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm sure like a lot of people have experienced that no matter, you know, what distance they're racing. I mean, 5Ks are extremely hard too if you're racing them. <laughs> Absolutely. That voice in your head, again, if we look at it, it's often trying to, we'll call it save you, right? It's, it's that safety alarm that says like, okay, like this is getting really difficult. This is an out of my comfort zone. So I'm going to try and get Steve or Joe or whoever to slow down a little bit. And what we need to do is learn how to navigate that voice. And there's a couple interesting, you know, I'll call them tools or psychological tricks, whatever you want to call them that, that actually work here is that if we change how we talk to ourselves, it actually takes away some of that power. So there's some wonderful research that shows that if we switch from using first person, like, you know, I've got this or whatever have you to second or third person. So come on, Steve, you've got this. What happens is our brain starts to interpret it a little di bit differently. It creates what we call psychological distance where it says, oh, hey, wait a minute. This voice is, is a little different. This isn't like the negative voice that is coming from inside. And that takes a little of the emotional power away from it so that we can actually deal with the thing. And the other tip that is really interesting is if we actually take our inner voice from the inside and move it outside, 
So say things out loud. It actually has the even more powerful effect because not only are you maybe changing your verbiage, but now you're actually hearing it. And that changes how your mind and brain kind of interpret it. Now, whenever I give this tip, people are like, so you want me to be crazy and talk to myself in a race? I'm like, no, no, no. Here's how you do it. When you're passing someone, when you're running with someone else, you talk to them every once in a while. Mm. So you say, you know, come on, man, like, come with me or we can do it. And I get it. It sounds a little weird. But what happens is when you're able to talk to someone else, A, what happens is your kind of brain interprets this as like, oh, this must not be that bad. We can still talk. Right. <laughs> And then B, it also hears the message and kind of internalizes it as, as coming to yourself as well. So again, not all the time, but every once in a while, these kind of tricks on on how you can uh, shift your inner voice can often help, especially during those difficult moments of, of the race. So is that what you mean in the third pillar, respond instead of react? Yeah, absolutely. So what we actually see is that it's that kind of emotional side of the brain that causes us to react because all it wants to do is get to safety as quickly as possible. It's almost like the dog that sees the squirrel, right? It latches on to the one thing, in this case, the easiest way out of this thing, which for us in running is often to slow down or walk or quit or what have you. And it says, oh, this is the answer to all of our problems. Let's go there. And instead, what we're trying to do and what the research shows is that if we can create a little bit of space, meaning to decrease you going from, oh, I have this negative thought or feeling to jumping straight to slowing down. If we create a little space there, then what happens is like a rational brain kicks back online and it's like, oh, it's okay. We're all, all right. And a lot of this is just shifting your perspective. So as runners, we know this stuff. Sometimes it comes pretty naturally, but shifting your focus is a great way to shift from uh, reacting to responding. So often what happens when we're in the middle of a race is our focus gets so narrow on the danger or the thing that we're dealing with so that we're in that tough mile. It just feels like there's no way I'm going to be able to finish this. This is impossible. This is so painful right now. I can't get through this. And what, again, most of the research and best practice shows us is if in those moments, if you can shift your focus and broaden it out, what happens is it kicks that rational part of the brain on. Shift your focus instead of being completely internal to looking at, hey, I just got to make it to the, you know, the next mile marker, the next aid station or check in then. When you're shifting your focus in that way, all you're doing is reminding yourself like, okay, get to the next spot. We can still keep going, et cetera, et cetera. And what the, the research actually shows is that elite level marathoners are like masters at this. They mm. can like bounce back and forth and shift their focus all the time. Amateurs often get stuck. Once their focus is on like, oh, my leg is painful or I feel like I'm running out of fuel, they can't kind of let go and dislodge from that. Like they leg, leg, leg. <laughs> yeah, it's like the alarm in your head is just like screaming and you can't you can't think of anything else. The good thing is that this is a skill that can be developed even if you are an amateur. And the best way to do it is just to practice changing your focus of attention, changing what you're paying attention to and practice and in races. And eventually you develop this ability just like the elite marathoners have. 
So give yourself some space for your rational brain to kick in and be like, remember that other time when you felt like this and you got through it and you know, you're actually really proud of yourself and you can kind of almost encourage yourself from even past experience maybe. Right, exactly. And and think about what you're doing there. If you're reminding yourself of past experiences, you're doing a couple great things. Is first you're taking yourself out of the horrible moment in the race right now, right? Because you're thinking about something in the past which zooms you out. And then second, you're giving yourself evidence of like, oh, yeah, this might suck, but I've been in similar spots before. And guess what? You come out of it. Actually, a lead athlete once told me one of his favorite tricks was to imagine himself at the finish line looking back Mm. at this race where he's going to be like, well, how would I I see this moment at the end of the end of the race? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, it would suck. But I made it through because I always make it through. Like (laughs) there's always a point where like I figure out how to get through this point. And sometimes, again, reminding yourself of that can just kind of create that space to kick that rational brain back online. Eventually, yeah. you're going to be sitting down again, eating a great meal and just reminiscing yeah. about like, wow, I did that. <laughs> Everybody give it a try when you're out there and you're trying to get through your long run and it really sucks. It's miserable. Maybe all you can think about is I need to stop and walk. Um, zoom out and picture yourself finishing. Think through, you know, the whole run. Go through your checklist. Think about your kids, you know, whatever. Kind of zoom out. Do you guys think that would work? I hope so. So I'm glad you brought up something there. And I think the elite athletes are great at like checking in and being like, oh, this is how my body is. And then, you know, saying, okay, I'm not going to stay here the whole time. I'm going to go focus on something else. And I think that's the key. And the other thing that you mentioned there that I think is really important is thinking about your kids or whatever have you is another tool that really works having something that matters and is meaningful that is greater than yourself. Yeah. This is why people run marathons for charity or to support a cancer group, because it often gives them that extra boost of motivation of like, oh, I'm not just running this for myself. This has a greater purpose. And the science is super clear here is that if we can connect our pursuit, whatever it is we're doing, to something that is bigger than ourselves, then it's almost like our brain gives us a little more leeway and a little more leash. Like it says, okay, we're going to go a little further into the depths of fatigue because this is actually important. And there's some, some really cool ways we can do this, right? So I remember I once had a team that all wore the same like wristbands during a race where they were going to be all in a race, all running different paces, didn't see each other in the race, but they knew that like, hey, when it got really tough, look down at the wristband and know that you've got, you know, 10 other people who are Mm. in this same journey with you together. And that often creates a little bit of that comfort, but also a little bit of that support where you realize, okay, I'm not alone. I can do this. And I think, you know, often I say greater purpose, but that greater purpose could simply be, you know, I spent the last three months training with my training group. And that's, that's fine. That's fantastic. That causes you to kind of zoom out and realize that it's bigger than just you out here. It's like, this is for your brothers and sisters in, in running or whatever have you. Yeah. It reminds me of, we've seen a lot of people through the years dedicate a mile to, you know, a friend or a loved one. And yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, I, I love it. And I think that, you know, that what I tell the people who do that is, you know, the science shows it works, <laughs> um, which is yeah. kind of cool when the, the science and, and reality kind of um, coincide. But there's all sorts of creative ways that you can do that, whether it's dedicating a mile or a race or like telling your friends or family to be there to cheer at the tough parts of the race. Like that often can be the boost that gets you through that difficult moment. Quick word of thanks to MetPro. They are metabolic experts that will help you evaluate your current habits, what your lifestyle goals and needs are, and then give you actionable steps to reach your goals, whether it be to lose weight, add muscle, change your body composition. Talk to one of their experts. They're super friendly. You can jump on a free call and get a consultation over at metpro.co forward slash MTA. And if you decide to join and work with one of their coaches, you can get $500 off if you tell them that we sent you. That's right. Longtime listeners will remember that after being really frustrated with unwanted weight, I started working with a MetPro coach and was able to drop 30 pounds of fat, rework my body composition, and that led me to be able to drop my half marathon and marathon PRs. So they know what they're doing and they really helped change my life. Once again, that's metpro.co forward slash MTA. Thanks to Athletic Greens. It's a green superfood drink. It's like imbibing pure health. That's what it tastes like to me. That's right. It's something that we take every day and take with us when we travel with their very handy travel packs. Some of the things that we really like about AG1 is that it provides comprehensive and convenient nutritional insurance in just one scoop or one packet. It has vitamins and minerals, which are crucial for well-functioning nervous system. It contains dairy-free probiotics, which of course support your gut health, enhance nutrient absorption, and strengthen your immune system. It's got adaptogens and antioxidants. And we really like the fact that they're continuing to upgrade their formula because they want to use the best sources and also just make it the very best product that they can. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA for a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. We know you'll love it. Athleticgreens.com forward slash MTA. We should tell people that we're now uh, talking about the fourth pillar, transcend discomfort. And one thing too, I should say, I like it when there's like through lines sort of in a book, themes that kind of reemerge. And you start off in the early part of the book talking about Viktor Frankl, who of course was the Holocaust survivor and the the author, psychologist and author of Man's Search for Meaning. And then at the end of the book, which I just finished, by the way, before we got on the call, <laughs> you talked about his discovery, his his work when it comes to finding a purpose in our suffering. So I wonder, was that intentional? Did you kind of like bookend things with Viktor Frankl? And is his work like especially, you know, meaningful to you? And what can runners learn from what he had to say about meaning? Yeah, so I'm glad you noticed that because it's intentional because I, I just love Viktor Frankl's work. I mean, I think it's so powerful. Man's Search for Meaning is is one of my favorite books. And essentially what it is, is for those who don't know the story, is, as you said, psychologist, like writer, who went through the Holocaust. And what he essentially was looking at is like, how do people survive? And what he found is that that sense of meaning was so essential. And for him, what he found is we often think of meaning as like a greater purpose or what have you, and it absolutely can be. But in his research and his experience is it often was the simplest of things, right? So for him, it was 
you know, part of it was, yes, his family, but then he eventually lost his family. So that goes away. So for him was like, hey, I have this book idea. I want to share to the world. I want to make it better. And that turned into Man's Search for Meaning, which he wrote that in something like a couple weeks after he got healthy and went out of the concentration camps, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's such a powerful message with that for the rest of us, which is when we go through difficult moments, it often kind of breaks us down and exposes us and makes us vulnerable. And in that vulnerability is a space where we can grow and get better. So- I get it. Like running a marathon is is in no means like going through a Holocaust, but running a marathon makes you feel and experience things that most people don't in their normal everyday life, right? Most people are able to take the easy path and like avoid all that flood of emotion and feelings and like doubts and insecurities that comes with doing a race, but like you get to go through it. And in going through that, you get to learn a little bit about yourself and what actually matters. And I think there's something that is just like Frankel kind of showed, there's something that is so powerful in that. And I think that's why, again, I'm severely biased, but that's why I think, you know, marathoners and runners in general have something special about them because like we get to see, we get to see ourselves at like our lowest points, but also Mm -hmm. those highs that come afterwards. You were kind of talking about, you know, how people go through tough things. And obviously, a marathon is something we choose to do to ourselves. But there are many terrible things that people go through they don't choose. Um, And sometimes circumstances are totally outside of our control. But you do talk about how maintaining a sense of some control can help cope with stress. Can you dive into that a little bit? Because, you know, I'm thinking like the whole COVID pandemic, you know, people were in situations they couldn't control. There was a lot of just feelings of uncertainty. And, you know, we saw dramatic increases in depression rates and suicide and just a whole bunch of tragic stuff. Yeah. Talk about that sense of control that we can have in the midst of circumstances that are outside of our control. Yeah. So having a sense of control is actually one of our key kind of uh, psychological needs. Because we need to feel like, hey, we have input and a little bit of control over our lives and our actions. And and when we lose that, we default towards apathy or motivation declines and our mental health and well-being declines. As you said, like COVID was unfortunately a, a prime example where, you know, that sense of control over the world kind of got taken over. But the beautiful thing is that we often think sense of control and we think, oh, we need to be in control of everything, that we need to have a control over the outcome or what have you. But that's not the reality. And for this, I'll go back to what I talked about just there with Frankel is that in dealing with the Holocaust, he found in research back this up is that, you know, those who survived tended to find something very small that gave them a sense of control. So I think it was Frankel who said something essentially like, shave and stand tall. Like it's something that was, again, so simple, but it reminded you that, okay, I have control over something in this horrible situation. And the research backs this up. If you look at athletes, especially in in other sports, they often have like some sort of routine before a competition or a race. Uh, My favorite is watching like baseball players before they get up into bat, right? They do all these crazy, like swing the bat a certain way, tug on their hat, whatever have you before they swing. And one of the reasons that they do this is to give them a sense of control because they're about to swing a bat 
against like a hundred mile per hour fastball where if you're really good, you get a hit three out of 10 times. Like there's a severe lack of control in that situation. But having a routine, and there's again, psychology research behind this, having a routine gives us just a little bit of that sense of control where it says, okay, we've been here before, we can handle this situation. So we can apply the same thing in our own lives. So if you have something like COVID that kind of knocks your world out out of spiral is what are the things that you can latch onto where you can do day in and day out? And often this is where I love running because regardless of what happens else in the world, like I can still go outside, get out the door and get my morning run in and feel like if nothing else happens during the day, I did something productive and for my physical and mental health. And and that's, you know, good enough. So have something in your day where it gives you a little bit more of that control um, so that you can, uh, you know, have the freedom to perform and uh, take care of your mental health. Well, this has been really fascinating, Steve. Thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. And everyone check out the book, Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. If people want to find out more about you and find you online, where can we send them? Yeah, thanks so much. This has been a, a really fun conversation. So you can check out my work. I'm on on social media at Steve Magnus on all social media. And then you can um, look at my newsletter and podcast and all that good stuff at thegrowtheq.com. What's the name of the podcast? Uh, the Growth Equation. So I, I host oh, cool. it with uh, Brad Stolberg, who I've I've written. A, we just started it not too long ago. Nice. Uh, written a bunch of books with. So it's just us two kind of nerding out on on the science and psychology of performance. Definitely going to check that one out because I really admire both of your work. So <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Fellow nerd right here, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're all about. So no no closeted nerds here. I, I admit it and hold it up, all that good stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Steve Magnus. Speaking of doing hard things, we have an Academy member named Mike who makes his living as a cardiologist. Um, he decided back in January 1st of 2020, that he would do a running streak. But check this out, Mike did a thousand day journey. So at least one mile for a thousand days. And he had some reflections about how it went. A journey of a thousand days begins with a single step. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we wanted to share this because it's it's really good. And I think it will be an inspiration and encouragement to people out there. Mike says, reflections on my 1000 day journey. I began a running streak on January 1st, 2020. The first day of a new decade seemed like a great time to rededicate myself to some healthy habits. And although a regular runner since 2007, I'd never done a run streak. Here's what I learned. Number one, it's all about priorities. Running is the first thing that I do every day. The closest I ever came to missing a day was when I had to take my wife to the airport at 4 a.m. in the morning, and then I worked until 9 p.m. that night. I was exhausted, climbed into bed, and decided to listen to an MTA podcast. Trevor and Angie gave me a shout out on the air, and thank goodness that reminded me I hadn't done my mile that day. (laughs) (laughs) I immediately got out of bed and went to the treadmill to knock out one more mile before returning to bed. I just got to say, anyone who has procrastinated your run so far, this is your sign. (laughs) (laughs) If you're looking for a sign, this is it. (laughs) 
We're talking to you. All right, number two. Lesson number two, priorities make habits. Besides the MTA podcast, I listen to audiobooks while running. One of my favorite books was Atomic Habits by James Clear. He discussed habit stacking, and therefore every morning when I finish my run, I have stacked the habit of my quiet time and Bible study following my morning run, thereby making sure I accomplish both of these priorities every morning. Number three, be smart. Honestly, there are days I probably should not have run. My first injury occurred during the second month of my running streak. I was on call at the hospital and it was busy. We had multiple cardiac procedures, so I took my running shoes and clothes to work and went for a run on campus between cases. I unfortunately slipped in what I thought was some standing water on the sidewalk, but it was actually slick mud between the puddles. I hit the ground as quickly as if I had slipped on ice and cracked two ribs in the process, Mm. requiring a trip to the ER. While my running streak remained intact, my push-up streak for the year was over. I love how he just like mentions that he also had a push-up streak. (laughs) Exactly. He's, He's a big achiever for sure. He says, number four, growth requires stress plus rest. I battled multiple injuries through my run streak, mainly because of marathons or hard training runs. Ideally, I would have taken some rest days, but continued to get in at least one mile daily. And number five, you can do hard things. I just finished the book Resilient by John Elridge and Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. Hey, what a coincidence. (laughs) That's right. He says one of my favorite quotes was, quote, real toughness is experiencing discomfort or distress, leaning in, paying attention, and creating space to take thoughtful action. It's navigating discomfort to make the best decision possible, end of quote. Mike says, since January 1st, 2020, I've run 1,000 straight days, over 4,011 miles, while completing 113 audiobooks finished six marathons and one ultra marathon, all while navigating a pandemic as a healthcare worker, cardiologist, and medical school dean. I have experienced the graduation of my daughter from law school, my son from medical school, and the birth of two beautiful grandchildren. I think that we're busy until I hear from you guys out there in our podcast audience. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are amazing. We have have a lot of high achieving people in this audience. It's just, it's, it's remarkable. That's for sure. Mike finishes out by saying, while injuries, illness, travel, busy nights on call, and even surgery would have been legitimate reasons to have missed a day of running, none were to the point where I absolutely could not run. Therefore, honestly, the biggest challenge to the running streak was having the mental resilience to make it happen every single day, no matter the circumstances. I'm glad to have made it to comma day. While not ready to necessarily stop my running streak, at least the mental burden of having to run daily is over. I will continue to run regularly as long as my body cooperates. I still have 21 states to complete my marathon in every state goal, but hopefully I will be a little wiser moving forward with the confidence of knowing that I can do hard things. That's really cool. Thank you, Mike, for sharing that reflection with us. Yeah, we love to hear the big goals that people take on and complete. And while a running streak may not be something that sounds remotely appealing to some members of our audience, it's just a great example of what a person can accomplish when they set a goal and they just keep showing up day after day. And I think really a huge part of having success as a long distance runner, and of course in many areas of life, is just showing up day after day. So true. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you haven't officially subscribed to the podcast, please do that wherever you have your little podcast app and boom, new episodes will appear. And also, if we can help you in your running journey, 
pursuing your big goals, come on over to MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. We have a contact form on the site. Coach Nicole on our team has been doing a great job responding to people who email us. So yeah, we'd love to hear how we can help you. And just want to remind you, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Go away.